0: There are some people outside my window cleaning my balcony, so I hope we don't hear them. <laughs> welcome to LD Plus, where learning is a team sport. I'm Joey, and in each episode, my co-host Tom and I will bring you real stories of collaborative learning from the world's leading companies.
1: Today we're thrilled to welcome Miles Runham, a leading LD product design consultant working with some of the UK's biggest names like HSBC and BP.
0: Miles brings with him a lot of experience with helping organizations of all shapes and sizes deliver better learning impact with the right learning design solutions.
1: Right now, he's helping bring about transformative digital-first L&D and helping his clients adjust to the huge disruptions of the COVID era.
0: Today, we'll chat to Miles about how the right product design can turn all COVID-era disruptions into the best thing that ever happened to L&D. And how to meet learners in moments of real need.
1: Before we begin, Miles, how about a few words of introduction? Thanks, Tom,
2: Joey. Yep. So I'm Miles Runham. I work as a. I guess I would classify myself as an independent consultant to learning and development teams, mainly, I think, helping people figure out um, what to do about digital, really, you know, how to manage digital change, how to make the most of it, how to overcome challenges, etc. And as you said, in the last couple of years, I guess there's been a sort of a sharpened focus on those themes and what they mean for people. So that's, that's definitely um, concentrated that activity.
1: Um, Miles, you've seen a lot of change in UK L&D over the last few years with COVID and all related disruptions. Now that we're, you know, fingers crossed, moving into the final tail of the pandemic, what do you think this disruption means for L&D teams everywhere?
2: Yeah, I guess I wonder... Whether we know yet, actually, I think, you know, I don't want to be evasive on the first question, but I, I think I think it's very early days still. So I, mean, I think it depends which national market you're looking at, you know, mm-hmm. the UK context, which is perhaps what I know best at the moment, it feels like we're coming out of it, but I don't think we really know that yet the questions about you know workplace patterns what hybrid means etc uh, um, what forms of design and solution uh, feel most relevant i think we're still we're still conjuring those so i, I sort of caution anybody saying what does post covid look like because I, d- I don't think anybody knows and i would also say anybody who sounds certain should probably be treated with a bit of suspicion <laughs> having said that though i think i think some of the one of the most important things i think we've seen in the market is is the early response to covid was pretty much a switch of tactics, not a switch of strategy. Classrooms are shut, we need to deliver digitally. So do we deliver, so that meant webinars, very crudely put, webinars and content. And I think that focus on the switch to kind of learning delivery is what's being questioned now. It's saying actually, is there something more subtle and sophisticated and therefore more powerful that we need to look at? And I think that's where the market is shifting.
1: Um, so, Miles, given the challenges of the COVID pandemic and everything involved with that, do you think it's the case that organisations don't have the time and resources to really revisit the way they're delivering learning?
2: I think what a lot of learning and development functions had to do was solve the most pressing problem, which was that problem of delivery. Is it, you know, and and there was some very urgent delivery as well. You know, you had to sort of, you had to you know, retailers, for example, had to very very quickly upskill their workforce in how to manage public health and and safety uh, uh, protocols in stores. You know, they had to do that quickly. So I think what we're finding now is that solving that problem of delivery has left other more pressing problems, perhaps unsolved or or less focused on. And I think that's where that kind of, that perhaps the focus on the most valuable problems to solve are Mm. now on focusing, you know, what's the most important problem to solve for someone's personal performance you know, in the new work context rather than only that delivery challenge to get the learning to someone in a different, you know, in a a new environment. Mm -hmm. I think that's the shift that I would hope to see. And I think we're starting to see perhaps in places as well. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Yeah,
0: no, I totally agree. How how can L&D teams turn these challenges into opportunities to drive greater learning impact, as you mentioned, really unpacking the important question of like asking what the real problems are. How can we solve them instead of prioritizing what's urgent but might not be the most crucial questions to ask?
2: There's a few things I think I think that that need to be done. I mean, one one of the things is probably that always needed to be done was was that sort of problem identification and analysis, the sort of consulting piece with stakeholders. Um, so understanding what you know, what are the real challenges? And it's not hmm. the challenge of learning delivery; uh, it's the challenge of, of the organization. And is that about the distribution of the workforce? Is it about onboarding new staff is it about developing you know, specialist skills in, in in a new environment understanding really what you know what are those challenges uh, for, for the for the organization and at the same time and this is a question really i think of understanding two types of relevance to the problem there's the organization's relevance so is this a pressing problem for the business mm. and what does from a learner or a user's perspective what does that problem look like for them mm. and i think that's almost like sort of plotting the relevance on two axes we need to understand how to how to identify a challenge for an individual user or learner or a group mm-hmm. that's highly relevant, therefore it's meaningful and motivating, and, and that's not just access to the classroom or access to the instructor or the content. That's about you know actually the the, the challenge of the design mm-hmm. uh, and to solve that individual problem in the organisation context. So I think that's one thing, something about that problem definition and understanding. I think there's another part which is around sort of data gathering and evidence, I think that's really important as well. This is something I think that learning and development has been slow to, is understanding Mm -hmm. those data sources, understanding what the landscape looks like, what kind of patterns of behavior are there in your organization now. What what signals I guess of that of, of those needs uh, you can gather to understand that context a bit better before you get into that kind of hand to hand combat of design as well. I think that's something that I've seen in the product development world, particularly in the, you know in, in, in digital marketing. I think that that we have you know we've got some lessons to learn there. I think.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: So Miles, from the work that you've been doing, what do you think the biggest challenges UK L and D teams face right now in terms of making that shift and I guess why is it so difficult for L&D teams to try and focus on solving those real points of learner need?
2: One of the challenges is 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 around the sort of definition of the purpose of an L&D function, and I think quite often organisations set up an L&D function because they need to make sure that learning is managed efficiently and delivered well. Mm-hmm. So a lot of organisations L&D teams have historically been set up to do that. So part of the challenge is that kind of leadership and strategic challenge of you know understanding your proposition what's the value of your function in the organization one of the ways of thinking about this perhaps is that most learning and development was delivered through you know through classroom activity the classrooms Mm -hmm. are closed so that's been done virtually and and has have you seen the difference has there been a noticeable difference and i think on the one hand if there hasn't been a noticeable difference you think well that that feels a bit odd that sort of fundamental shift and everything's the same Mm -hmm. i think that that sort of leans towards that redefinition of, of what the function is for mm-hmm. there's something around the sort of user experience sensibility as well or that's what I would call it the well is like understanding mm-hmm. why is this meaningful and valuable for people you know what's in it for them mm-hmm. and I think the last part which I think is really hard but really really important is that so much learning is so easily and freely available to us now yeah whether that's, you know, classic, the classic example of, you know, Google to Wikipedia to answer any question, or Google to YouTube for all those beautiful how-to videos. Mm -hmm. But there's all sorts of sources of feedback and advice, you know, TikTok's growing, etc. So all of that all of that substitution that's available for what mm. we make as L and D, I think, is really important to understand as well. That what are we doing? What can we do that is better, more useful, or, or valuably different from that? All of that stuff that's out there, mm-hmm. I think that's a I, that's easy to say. It's really hard to do that <laughs> yeah. internally. Those are some. I think those are some of the important challenges. I think.
0: And perhaps one way that we can try to approach it is like instead of thinking about learning delivery we're thinking about like how can we meet learners at points of need something that you have discussed with our CLO David James um, and I wonder like you know how you think LND teams can get started perhaps with the right product design approach to help thinking about how to meet learners where they are.
2: I think one of, you know, the, the typical L&D answer to, to understanding and, and delivering value at the point of need is, is almost like, how do we distribute the learning stuff to someone mm. when they're doing <laughs> that thing that they need to know about? And so that's not, I don't think that's the real challenge. That's a kind mm. of technology challenge, a distribution challenge, and a sort of, mm. Decoding the signals. Mm. I think that the thing to understand is, you know, what are those patterns of behaviour? What what does the problem look like? What does a moment of need look like? Um, And and how might that moment of need sort of have a life cycle over time as well? Mm. So I think I think one of the things is getting those bite-sized nuggets of learning that we talk about so often. Just getting that to someone when it looks like they're having that challenge Mm -hmm. may or may not be the right answer. It may be that there's something more conversational. It might be something to do with more more with coaching. It might be something to do, uh, uh, you know, with building a relationship. Mm -hmm. So I I think when it comes to things like, you know, skills development as well, those moments of needs are quite enduring, I think. If you think about how long does it take you really to develop a skill to a satisfying level of competency, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, usually takes quite a long time unless it's just Mm -hmm. simply solving a particular kind of functional problem. I think what we need to try to do is to start build those relationships with people and be present in those different, you know, those different parts of that, uh, of that relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think actually it's all about data always, but I think, I think it is about, you know, mm-hmm. those, sig- understanding those signals that describe the moments of need is, is the first yeah. place.
1: I'd love to hear a little more, Miles, just on that, you know, you mentioned the, the importance of relationships there, you know, in your work with, clients, I guess, of of all shapes and sizes. When you're combining that focus on almost a a design consideration for what the learning experience looks like for people, how does that work with uh, some of the clients that you've been working with, and I guess what are the biggest opportunities in in that respect?
2: Where it's worked best, I think, is where you bring, try to bring the data and the intelligence that you have about your audience, you try and bring that to bear and reflect that back to people, which is something that I think we see so much in you know the digital products that we all know and love. Mm-hmm. You, you can almost tell that they know who you are. They might not refer to you by name, Tom or Joey, you know, but that you, you can sense that, that the data that's being gathered on you is being used to make the next experience more useful and relevant. I think that's the key is sort of being, is, is that kind of adaptive response. Mm-hmm. Um, that might be within a program mm. or it might be you know on a platform you know that responds and you know your recommendation engines are becoming more sophisticated it may be responding to the context that you know about that you know about that person which team they're in what's happening to that team at the moment so I think it's that it's about sort of showing what you know back to, to, to your users rather than treating everybody as, as you know as, as a, um as a sort of equal in, in uh, or, you know, as, as a kind of, you know, just, just a another person, I think that's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. It's a lot, it's a lot of work there, but I think that's, you know, that that's that kind of responsiveness that starts yeah. to then build that relationship. You become more useful for people, the more useful for you become, you know, the more they mm-hmm. trust you to help with other things as well.
1: You mentioned the, the idea of that being a lot of work. Mm. And I think maybe that's something that to, to just hold on that point for a second. Do you think that one of the, the things really holding L&D teams back from undertaking this kind of exercise where they truly map learning initiatives to particular points of need and really understand what the, the business impact can be, do you think that a lot of that is a lack of bandwidth, a lack of time, a lack of patience for that process? Or what, what's getting in the way for L&D teams to do more of that, do you think?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. I, I think I think it's partly because it, it sort of resets what you're there for and what, and what you're expecting of yourself and your team mm. uh, and how you will approach a challenge. So I think it's back to that point. Of sort of probably at the root of it is redefining what an L and D function is for. Yeah. In many organisations, an L and D function is there to make the training and deliver it. I think w- what we're talking about is is to be a partner in identifying the most valuable problems to solve, describing. those problems and the significance of them and using that as a basis to to develop a solution and work with people along the way. Um, I think that's, you know, that is a big, that's a big change of role and relationship to your stakeholders and your sources of funding most importantly. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think it also brings, it brings other skills to bear as well where you're, you know, you're being analytical and you're being strategic about decoding and identifying challenges and you're being quite detailed and evidence focused in describing what they look like. Those are not necessarily you know the first skills you would list in it you know of the capabilities of a good lnd function mm. Mm. one of the challenges is it's a redefinition and the other thing is it takes time and effort but all the good stuff takes time and effort mm. i say this cautiously it's relatively easy to design and deliver a training program versus understanding you know the value the context and all of those requirements up front and deciding whether you should do that program or not um, yeah i think you know it's a there's, there's more to it, but there, but it's more valuable when you get it right. Mm-hmm.
0: And the starting point might be like, as you said, to start thinking about L and D from more of a product design or product management point of view. As in, like you have to really work with stakeholders, do your market research, understand what the market problem or pain points are before even designing the right solution to address those problems. If you're in front of um, an L and D. professional that is just thinking about switching classrooms to to zooms or emails um how would you kind of convince or help them get into this different mindset
2: yeah i think it's it's a, it's a really good way of phrasing the question as well joe because i think it is more it's more about mindset and approach and mm. method and sensibility than it is about kind of process and 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 uh, production mm. the conversations that i have is almost about it's about reframing the value that you have either you know maybe as an individual if you're a learning designer or you're a, you know you maybe you're a classroom facilitator or instructor is to reframe your role and your role isn't necessarily to design instruction and then deliver it. Your role is to understand how can you bring those skills and attributes and that value to bear in the most relevant and helpful way for mm. the people that you're working with. That might be you mm-hmm. in a classroom context. It might be you as a as a, you know a, a program designer, right? You know at the front. You know when you've had the green light to go ahead. It's, it's it's understanding how that product management and product design mentality can be used to be as relevant and valuable as possible at those different stages of the cycle mm-hmm. but that's you know that's a big change and and that's you know harder to pull off and not all organizations are ready for that
0: yeah mm.
1: and I, I can imagine you know Miles especially with some of the, the sort of larger organizations that you've been working with you know as the consultant coming in I mean you you're kind of up against it a little bit because yeah. there's I'm sure there's decades and decades of learning material there that they're having a hard time letting go of I spent
2: um, you know my my first exposure to learning and development was the head of dig- head of digital at the BBC Academy, and the BBC Academy is basically the BBC's L&D function. Uh, this was quite a while ago now. So I had lots of these conversations then and, you know, got lots of sort of bloody noses and doors closed, etc. Uh, BBC can be quite a forthright place for communication at times. Um, and one of the things I think that's really important is, you know, pick your allies or find mm. the pockets of the organization teams departments you know professional groups whatever they might be that that are open-minded interested and up for this yeah. and, and experiment with them mm-hmm. in the BBC context it was news news and the journalists yeah big mm. well-funded very confident we're only going to change because they wanted to so don't start with yeah. news start yeah. in other places so we found that a lot of the radio teams were a bit more open-minded and you know so i think understanding where you can develop those partnerships in an organization mm. Mm. who's maybe you know you might more experimentally minded who's more open-minded yeah. uh, and then experiment with them you know if they're up for it you know don't just willy-nilly experiment choose mm. valuable problems to solve with them work with them on solving those problems and i, th- I think that's where you know then in the BBC experience you can bring projects to bear and say well you know we heard you did that with the radio guys can we you know do you reckon yeah. we could do that striking a different relationship and different partnerships can be helpful and experimenting from that
0: yeah Great. it it kind of sounds like you have to find it it's like meeting people where they are and then really understanding the needs uh but like also finding maybe like areas of the business that are more for lack of a better word, struggling a bit more than the ones that are really succeeding, where they don't see a point of changing their ways, yeah. um, and then helping those really solving a problem, uh, where your time and, and effort will be the most valued too. Yes, um, that's a good point.
2: <laughs> so, so people, yes, yeah, so, you know, the, the, if there's no burning platform, then it can yeah. be quite hard to persuade people to do something differently. I think yeah. there's something important about the choice of language as well. Actually, that 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 if you, you know, if you approach one. Organization or department, and say, right, you know, let's do some digital first iterative experiential learning development. What are you talking about? But if you say, well, let's actually hang on, let's just develop a couple of prototypes, simple things, let's test it with a few people, see how they respond, let's see if that looks like the right kind of problem. You know, we're not quite Mm -hmm. sure what we're Mm -hmm. looking at. If you describe it in different ways, hopefully using the language of the people you're working with and you know yeah. the language particularly yeah. when you're doing the work the language of your audience and your you know your users is vital but i think the how you describe things can actually be an important part of that if you come in using buzzwords and jargon mm-hmm. for a start it's usually vague and unhelpful but mm-hmm. but it also it can just put people off yeah
0: and um i was wondering also as a consultant to all these different clients who is your usual partner in in all these collaborations is it usually the lnd or other business leaders of different departments business units
2: so i guess it, it when i'm working on sort of the corporate the client side then it tends to be the learning and development people learning development hr mm-hmm. uh, and maybe they're sort of it depending on the size of the organization there might be hr it or you know lnd tech um, right. you know, the, those specialists increasingly the shift there is from just the technology folks to more of the design as well. Mm. So people who are responsible for design and for the sort of leadership if it's about sort of changing capabilities and maybe changing working practices. Mm. So I think that's shifted a bit over the years in my experience.
1: So Miles, do you think that the COVID pandemic has really changed the level of appetite that organizations have for revisiting the old, here's a bunch of courses approach to learning, to actually taking a look at what learners need at different points in their careers and when they're making these kinds of transitions?
2: Yeah, I think one of the things that's happened that's kind of odd, and I'd only, only just I only realised this. Maybe it's because I'm just a bit slow, but I'd, I'd only realised this in the last few days. Really, was that I think one of the things that people like most about going on training was all of that time away from the desk, time out of the office, maybe in a nice hotel, yeah. hang out with people you don't know, meet people, you know, good lunches, mm. take a break, you know, close the inbox. Those those are really important benefits. I think it's easy to poo poo them because they're not really performance or learning related, but they're really really valuable. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things I think might be happening is if that feedback's gone, all mm. that it makes me feel good and I like it stuff has gone. But mm. you know, that, and you're left. What are you left with? Yeah. What are you left with to describe the benefit and the value? A PowerPoint. You're, you know, and in, well, in L and D world, you're left with completion and attendance. You know, and that's it. And the feed the satisfaction yeah, yeah. the feedback is about other things and maybe people are a bit tired because it's another zoom call and i can't tell the difference between a training course and a meeting and mm-hmm. i think it's making people think well okay what's the real value in this then yeah you know what's this for is it well designed mm. does it meet that need is it when well prepared you know is it good is it well designed is the experience good what are the signals of mm. that experience so i think those questions are starting to poke through now because a lot of that kind of uh, that comfort blanket has been taken away
0: yeah
1: I just wanna make sure like we we wouldn't want to, I guess, dismiss those kind of ancillary benefits, right? No, because not the at all. social stuff and, and the bonding stuff together. I Absolutely. mean, we might pretend that it's not the main thing, but <laughs> I mean if it is the main thing, cool. Like that, yeah. that's it's like still very, very useful, right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah, no, as I yeah. said, I was at Learning Technologies yesterday, and one of the best things about the day out for me was just <laughs> hanging out, met some people I hadn't met before, had a good chat, you know, bumped into some people for some lunch. Yeah, getting yeah. some you know, freebies. Uh, and- the serendipity of wandering around, yeah, picked up, a, you know, some, some bits and pieces and got some prize draws, you know, but, uh, but the, the, that serendipity of bumping into people mm. was possibly the best thing about the day.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, Given the difficulty of replicating that spontaneous, sort of human moments of connection, um, when we are doing things remotely or, or through hybrid learning, do you think there is a product design solution to that? Like, do you think we can bake in spontaneous moments of connection and, and um, you know, into the solutions that we, that we have, or do you think it's it's just fundamentally different?
2: I think I, I suspect we probably that th- there might be solutions to it. I think you probably need to gather quite a lot of data first so that you can make those connections, you know, and almost Mm. you need to know what you're randomizing if you decide to randomize it, or if you decide to plan it and, you know, sort of try and connect people or connect ideas around, you know, people around ideas. I think the data to do that is really, really hard to gather. I think we're away off that. One of the things I wonder though, is is that whether we should even try, you know, perhaps it might be better to accept that all of those social signals in that environment is not available. Or, or we can't guarantee that it's available don't even try and substitute it mm. don't try and replicate it accept that it's not there manage people's expectations and solve within that mm. you know, and that might mean shorter sessions but I think my, my instinct in, in response to your unfair question is, <laughs> is, is don't try and replicate it yeah. because, because it's too hard And actually people's expectations are really high. So spend time on something else.
0: Reminds me of something like I was chatting with your friend about remote work and where it's going and, and how valuable or not in-person meetings are. And she was saying how like, we should just accept that work is remote and could be asynchronous now, but socializing it's in-person and it's synchronous because it's relationship building and you just, there's just no way you can, you can replicate that digitally and so we should just accept that and separate the two things <laughs>
1: <laughs> so miles um you know you've talked about a lot of l d practices being in such a state of flux right now with the pandemic and with other developments so there's a, such a huge opportunity right now to really revisit these status quo learning habits what would you say are the biggest areas of potential for positive change
2: so i i guess and i don't think this is pandemic related i think this is just one of the facts of digital really is that you know digital value and all of the digital value that we've seen over the last you know three decades or whatever has been built on the foundations of data and connection or connectedness and i think the first of those data is just has to be part of what we what we understand and what we get good at that might be hardcore data science skills hmm. you might not need that in your team You might need you know, or you can outsource it or whatever but i th- i think being comfortable and confident with where data comes from how to handle it developing partnerships uh, you know to gather other people's data maybe internal stakeholders or supplier data etc being data smart it, it, you know is a must have it's a must have for everything and it has been for decades i think one of the other things i think that's uh, that i think's probably closer to home and easier to achieve is is this idea and we touched on it earlier of the sort of multidisciplinary working you know the sort of bringing together teams of experts across L&D and beyond Mm -hmm. to identify and work through solutions to you know to to important problems I think that's a really really important consideration as well you know and often that's a way of understanding you know which skills you lack so that might be marketing people it might be comms people it might be HR colleagues it could be legal Mm -hmm. it could be finance it depends on you know on your environment of the challenge I think those are a couple of things that that I think are, are, are really significant mm.
1: with the work that you're doing with your clients at the moment, or, or recently, you know, during the last sort of two or three years, is there one example that that really leaps out about that idea of a partnership focused on really analysing the data and getting down to that problem definition?
2: Yeah, I suppose that's a work. So, work with a with a large bank on, on I was on a data analytics strategy actually, and and so mm-hmm. it was kind of a big and sort of slightly. Of abstract and intellectual challenge, but it became one of the one of the ways that that it became clear was really spending a lot of time with stakeholders and users of data and understanding like what what you know what does this mean to you? You mm. know, everyone said, well, the problem is we've got no data in this place, you know, or we've got too much and I can't use it. It said, well, what does that look like? Show me, you know, show me the data you've got. What's the problem with it? You know, to get them to describe it and show it. The outputs and inputs, etc. And then start, then then sort of figuring out from that, and working with those stakeholders, and what are the most important challenges? What are you going to get most value from here? And then just basically, you know, say, well, let's make a dashboard. Then, Mm. you know, like dashboards, one of the parts of the problem. It's only one part because it's about presentation. So there's, you know, it's not it's not really the analytics challenge. Mm -hmm. It's usually more about the presentation, the story. So, well, let's just make a really simple low fidelity dashboard for the new world. Mm -hmm you know that focuses on a handful of metrics rather than the 40 mm-hmm. that no one uses and that, and i think that was really interesting was saying you know that, that that was a good way of testing does that get to 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 the challenge that the stakeholders were describing what do we do next didn't have to invest very much other than you know sketching some numbers and mm-hmm. basically doing some powerpoint uh, but that gave us a really good platform to say oh, okay right now we know three of those are useless actually one of them is really good but that's asked questions so we need two others and yeah it gave us that foundation to sort of work and iterate from there.
0: Okay, so we've discussed so many different topics today (laughs) and there's a lot of gem in there, of course. Uh, Is there one thing you'd like to have our listeners take away from this whole discussion. I'm um, tempted
2: that there was, a, there was a really interesting book from years ago called, by a, a guy called Jeff Jarvis. He, he asked the question in the book, what would Google do?
0: Mm-hmm. And it was
2: basically saying, what would Google do for all these different problems? You know, it was like education mm-hmm. was one of oh. them, banking, uh, voting, you know, if, and this was probably 15 years ago when, mm-hmm. when everybody loved Google and <laughs> so frightened of them. <laughs> I wonder, I wonder for learning, it's almost you're kind of tempted to say, well, what would YouTube do? Mm. You know, if, you, if you've got a learning problem, well, as I start
1: off with what would YouTube do? Or well, what would TikTok do? <laughs> Maybe we should start there. Thanks so much to Miles for joining us. For listeners who wish to connect with other L&D leaders, please consider joining the L&D Collective, our free community where L&D leaders come together to share knowledge, build relationships, and experience collaborative learning in action.
0: If you're looking for more great collaborative learning stories, be sure to subscribe to LND Plus wherever you get your podcasts. And check out our show notes for more LND resources from 360 Learning.
1: Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.